Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. On past episodes of our audacious love series, we've talked with people who've been married for over 50 years, people who've fallen in love with synthetic companions, people who've fallen in love with objects. And today you'll meet four people who are married to spirits or gods. When we step into a bonded relationship with one of these kinds of things, really exciting, emergent consciousness can happen. The sexual aspect of it and the sacred marriage aspect is just one aspect of a practice that was mostly devoted to healing people. We created certain pre-established routes or I was like, well, you know, even if you need to talk to me, you can't just like jump up on me, (laughs) especially when I'm with other people, right? There's a pure harmony and oneness, one that sometimes humans get afraid of because they're afraid if I truly touch it, will it consume me? And the truth is, of course it will. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's right after the news. They're made of pure life force. So the life force in you just awakens, just awakens. And then when they move in through you in a cycle of this harmony, which we express by this word of love, your life force is increasing and purifying. And it's a state of pure ecstasy. Many a time I've thought, this is how stars are born. Mm. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and there is so much more to these stories about what it's like being married to one or multiple spirits or gods. But I just want to get one thing out of the way. Normally, I don't let you in on the production side of things, but it's important that you know that the original total running time of all four interviews we recorded for this episode was 207 minutes, which we had to edit down for a 49-minute show. That's almost three and a half hours of stories about what it's like being married to otherworldly beings. Although some of them aren't otherworldly, they're... I mean, some of them are of this earth, but they're ancestral and you can't see them. I mean, I mean, I can't see them currently, I don't think, but I mean, they are experienceable. So they're not like invisible to everybody. Okay. There's a lot to figure out here, which is why we're starting off with Dr. Megan Rose. She's on a mission to normalize the paranormal, which is why she spent the past 20 years researching and practicing erotic mysticism and spirit communication. Her brand new book is called Spirit Marriage, Intimate Relationships with Otherworldly Beings. She's married to the pagan god Gwyn, also known as the Welsh Lord of the Dead, the darkly radiant fairy king of the underworld, the Lord of the Hunt, and a horned one. She also calls him her fairy beloved. So let's get started with some basics. What exactly is a spirit? How do I define a spirit? I define a spirit as any being right? That is not in an incarnate human physical body at this time. So it's a really large umbrella term. And the reason that I say a human physical body is because that my research has really shown that um, in some traditions, particularly the West African Dagara tradition, one can marry a spirit 
that will actually manifest through a living thing like a tree. And I don't like to just say um, it's a spiritual being that is um, otherworldly or non-human because that there are folks that are married to beloved dead. And so, you know, it can really run the gamut between deities and angels and beloved dead and elemental beings and a whole spectrum of other kinds of what I just sort of use the other the umbrella term otherworldly beings, even though otherworldly evens a little imprecise because it's like they're part of our world, right? We're nested in these layers of Gaia consciousness that um, we share with so many different inanimate or animate really beings from the tiniest mycelium bacterial life right to the largest cosmic um, influences. Um, and just because we don't see them or perceive them with the naked eye doesn't mean that they aren't there. So it was 2018. Here I had done years and years of research, talked to all of these other people about their marriages and how they happened. And I kept thinking, you know, oh, this is going to be, you know, a fete. This is going to be a celebration because in a lot of spirit marriage traditions, particularly the Vodou tradition, it is a big event. There are rings that are exchanged between the human and someone who stands in as a proxy for the spirit. And I imagine they've got to be someone pretty damn important. Yeah, it's usually somebody that is already uh, in a relationship with that spirit. And so like maybe it's their matet, their like um, patron spirit, or uh, maybe it's the mambo or the unga and the, the priest or the priestess um, that is able to, you know, essentially channel or proxy that um, that spirit. But and that's not just unique to the Vodou tradition there that shows up transculturally. So, you know, in the Vodou tradition, right, they exchange rings and vows. There's a dress or a suit or some sort of vestment that's worn that's that's like a wedding special outfit. Um, the community is there. There's cake. There's a party. Like, it's a big thing. And I was like, cool, I'm going to have a big wedding, you know, because I've been studying this and I'm really ready. And um, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> It was, you know, it wasn't anticlimactic, but it was a little, um, I felt a little um, sheepish because every year for a number of years, I have participated in a, um, a Samhain, a Halloween gathering. And this particular year in 2018, I was working with some of my friends to create an altar for our beloved dead where you can go and sort of interact with your beloved dead. And I felt really called to garb myself as like the bride of the Lord of the dead, which um, my spirit beloved, one of his functions is the Lord of the dead, um, the Lord of the Fae, the Lord of the dead. And so in any event, I felt like um, the, the, this sort of priestess of death, priestess of the crossroads, priestess of this transition, this mystery, right? When we transition from life to death. So I was anointing people as they were coming into, we'd created a little temple and I was anointing them as they were coming in to experience this, this holy mystery of sitting with our, sitting with our dead. And um, part of the, the ritual that everybody does uh, where we, do a sort of a trance journey 
to the other world, to the land of the dead. And usually we, we meet with an ancestor. There's a lovely guided visualization where we're meeting with an ancestor. Um, and there's like, you know, three, 400 folks. And we're like laying down on the ground in this big auditorium and doing this um, ritual together. And I've done it many, many times. And usually, you know, my mom or my grandmother or some ancestor shows up and we chat for a while and, and that's it. But this year, that year in 2018, we go into the journey and the being that shows up is my, is my spirit beloved who had been wooing me all this time. And I had, you know, maybe a year or two before finally gotten um, really, really clear on who he was and what it was about. And um, I had done a pilgrimage to um, uh, his, his location, which is in um, the tour in Glastonbury in the UK so I had felt really sort of grounded in our relationship in a deeper way. And during this, this visualization, during this journey, he showed up and he was like, okay, it's time. We're getting married. And I was like, really? I like, I have a <laughs> ring and I don't have any fancy. I mean, like I'd worn sort of this black veil thing. So I guess I, I guess I was sort of dressed appropriately, but I didn't have vows. I didn't, you know, but there it was, it, you know, it happened in this very sacred way, right? Because we're in this ritual container with all these other people, um, but also not in the way that I thought it was going to happen with um, this more outward demonstration. But I had a friend who is a medium. She does mediumship work. Um, and I was telling her about this experience after it and sort of like scratching my chin, like, I can't believe that I've spent all this time and energy trying to understand a spirit marriage. And here's, it's just happening. You know, it just happened sort of uh, without much fanfare. And she said, well, you know, Megan, it kind of makes sense because often when people marry someone who's from another place, another country, you often have sort of a marriage in their country and a marriage in your country. And I was like, you're right. Uh, my first husband was Moroccan and we got married in the United States. And then when we went to Morocco to visit family, we had a celebration there as well. So she said, you know, maybe this is just your marriage in the other world right? With him. And um, maybe it will also manifest with your community, or maybe that isn't what needs to happen at this point. So that was sort of the um, personal numinous experience that I, with my scholar hat on was like, oh gosh, this is really, <laughs> but I had, I had interviewed um, uh, uh, Washington uh, in my interview with the Washington DC witch doctor, um, Caroline Kenner, um, she had shared very similar phenomenological experiences with her spirit spouses. She's got a few different ones and they all happened in the same exact way. So it's not entirely unheard of. It was just a lot less of a to-do than I <laughs> had been expecting or anticipating. I'd love to hear about what the day-to-day -day life is like with your spirit beloved. Is it Kind of like the way it is with any human spouse. Um, how is it different? How is it the same? I like to say that, you know, with our human spouses, if you go for very long without interacting and talking with them, the relationship suffers. With a spirit beloved, 
you have to make that extra effort to reach out to them. Uh, At least in my case, I found that very early in our relationship, I expected that they would show up in dreams, um, which is, was the primary mode of contact. And then they would start showing up in when I was meditating or doing journey work, but it was always them sort of reaching out to me. And there came a point where I really had to step up and begin to learn the practices that drew me to them. You know, and everybody's relationship is different, right? Everybody's human relationships are different. There is no one right or only or textbook way that a relationship can look. And so you've got to figure it out for yourself, but it does require a certain amount of disciplined devotion on a really regular basis to spend time with that person. So it's not like, as one of my co-researchers said, it's not like Harvey sitting on the you know, seat next to you, riding shotgun that's constantly, you know, talking at you. It's more like um, spending time doing the things that shift your consciousness enough so that um, you're shifting out of mundane, like your mundane day-to-day, brushing my teeth, doing my job, paying my bills into that extraordinary space that softens us up and opens us up up enough that we can have that sensitization of the the voice or the touch and everybody's experience, right? Of their beloved is different. Some people have a very strong somatic, like I do, body sense. Others hear a, hear a voice. Others have more um, visual or synchronistic, even like signs and wonders that sort of manifest as the as the contact. But it, it's a little bit different for everybody. Our time is running short. And one question that I keep in the back of my head as we're talking is, so you're married to kind of a big deal. And you've heard stories from people who are married to kind of big deals. Are there like non-big deal spirit marriages? Like, is there like a Bruce Lord of... (laughs) Lord of the laundry land? (laughs) Yes. Is that a thing? Yeah. I mean... um... The question is, you know, what's the question that I always come back to is like, what is the purpose of the relationship, right? What's the co-creative project? Gwen and I stepped into this relationship because I needed to do this research because it needed to become a book. And that was in service, right, to all the other people out there now that are either having this experience or want to explore this experience. And there's somebody talking about it publicly that has done a really Um, academic survey. So it's grounded, but also gone into the mystery of it so that it is, you know, somebody's lived experience. Edocratic was married to a spirit being that she called an angel whose name was Sof. But I actually interviewed her um, biographer, Vera Chappelle, for my research. And um, when he was going through all of her journals and and writing his book on her, which is excellent, um, by the way, it's called um, Idocratic, a Spiritual Outlaw Erotic Mystic, something along those lines. Anyway, he said that the angel Sof that she was married to had actually was the spirit of a deceased man that had lived in the boarding house where she had been living at the time. And um, he, I think when she was younger, she knew him and he had passed on and then come back to her in this more sort of 
elevated angelic form and they had married and had this whole romance. And she was this fantastic early sexologist who advocated for these radical things like women should enjoy sex. (laughs) Women should have the agency to say yes or no when they wanted to have sex, right? Like radical ideas. So, and she claimed that all of her knowledge of, of, of sex and eroticism was from this spirit spouse that she was married to and had done this really lovely precursory analysis of spirit marriage throughout history. So there's an example of someone who is, married to a beloved dead that isn't, you know, a big fancy. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of folks, when someone that they deeply love crosses over, you see this a lot of times. Um, I remember my ex-mother-in-law, when her husband died, she would talk about how he was still around and she would still talk to him. And so I think that there are ways in which these kinds of relationships um, can continue on. They're just sort of in a, in a slightly different configuration than, than when we're both embodied. This is going to be a really difficult show to edit down because there's so much to everybody's story. But what do you hope people really hold on to from our conversation? What I would love to leave you with is this idea that spectrosexuality and spiritual intimacy are emergent forms of intimacy and erotic relationship that are sort of the best kept secret in human sexology. They've been around, you know, the first documented records of this in ancient Mesopotamia. I would venture to guess it goes back much farther than that, but, you know, and it's transcultural. We find it in almost every culture. And the purpose of stepping into a bonded, intimate relationship with a spirit being, traditionally, it expands us as human, right? It helps us understand that we live in an animated universe that is alive and breathing and full of myriad different types of beings beyond just our sort of anthropocentric understanding of humanity. Um, And all of a sudden, then the world around us, it becomes kind of enlivened with um, a variety of different species and beings and consciousness that we can interact with, and sometimes even love. And that places us in a much more, as I've said, co-creative and beloved relationship with our planet, rather than being in this kind of place of dominating or putting ourselves on the pedestal, right? We get to step into much more of um, a listening. Uh, It requires a skill set that sort of moves us into a more of a relaxed and open and spaciousness place and allowing. We have the opportunity to do some really exciting co-creative things. Plato talked about the daimon, right? The, the genius or the guiding spirit that walks with each of us and 
um, reaches through to us and um, sometimes called the tutelary spirit or familiar spirit. And when we step into a bonded relationship with one of these kinds of beings, really exciting, really imaginative, conscious, emergent consciousness can happen. Um, and personally, I think this is how we evolve as a species, right? How we move from I-centered, homo sapien, just awareness of I to the awareness of we and the awareness of us. Megan Rose, author of Spirit Marriage, Intimate Relationships with Otherworldly Beings. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. When we get back. A lot of times I can't control what I say, so I say whatever they want to say to the person I'm speaking to. <laughs> I'm in relationship with a village of them, and some of them are very joyful and mischievous, and some of them are very ponderous and serious, and, and it's fun. Meet three more people who are married to spirits. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, another installment of our Audacious Love series. We're meeting people who are married to gods, goddesses, gender-neutral spirits, and ancestors. Caroline Kenner is also known as the Washington Witch Doctor. She decamped to Olympia in Washington State in 2018 after spending more than 50 years in the D.C. area working as a professional witch, a teacher of visionary healing methods, and a spiritual healer. She's married to multiple spirits a connection that began when she was just seven years old. And my mother and I were standing in the Roman Forum, specifically in the College of the Priestesses of Vesta, the Vestal Virgins. So my mother was reading from the guidebook, and she said all of this interesting stuff about Vesta and her virgins. And I said, well, what happened to all the Vestal Virgins? And she said, oh, they all died. And then I said, what happened to Vesta? And then my mother said she died too. And at that moment, I knew that my mother had not on purpose, but she had been totally wrong. And that Vesta was in fact right there. <laughs> like you felt her. I felt her and I felt like a crowd of priestesses because, you know, there were only a few at a time, but they were so important that they have, they have all, oh. Sorry, this is me getting possessed. Okay, they have all joined the ranks of the divine ancestors because they were rulers of Rome, basically. They were part of the, the governmental system as well as the religious system. Can I jump in real quick and ask about what just happened with you were possessed? What happened just then? Uh, one of the spirits came. Sorry. <laughs> does that? How does that feel? Uh. It happens a lot when I'm talking about sacred subjects. Like if I'm talking about breakfast with my husband, it never happens. And it's spontaneous. And I have some degree of control sometimes, but a lot of times I have no control at all. And this is something that often frightens Westerners. But I've been pursuing trans possession for a really long time. And the sexual aspect of it and the sacred marriage aspect 
is just one aspect of a practice that was mostly devoted to healing people. That's what I did when I was still working as a healer. I needed my own healing. So they just come in and my voice changes. And that's the way it is. Does anything else happen? Well, a lot of times I can't control what I say. So I say whatever they want to say to the person I'm speaking to. (laughs) Has it ever put you in a difficult position other than the fact that people may not understand? It doesn't happen in situations where people might not understand. Got it. You know, they don't want to come in when I'm talking to the people who help me with gardening. You know what I mean? They have no message to deliver to those people. Are they always with you? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, recently I was an informant for a woman, an academic in the Albany area who is doing work on Tarot. And she really wanted me to get possessed on on our Zoom call. And I totally didn't because when I'm doing Tarot, the Tarot is the message. Do you see what I mean? And if I'm if I'm not doing Tarot, it, it's more like uh, statements usually to the person to try and help them. When it happens, I'm almost always with people who are like, is Caroline going to get possessed and say something to me? Because that would be awesome. So I don't worry about it. No. Got you. Will you talk about the fact that you're married to multiple spirits? How do you summarize, if you can, what that's been like for you? Well, the only one who doesn't really want me to be that way is Odin. I ignored some of the cues he was giving me and some of the requests he was asking of me for 23 years. And many times if I'm in physical danger, it's Odin I call to because that's my ancestry, as you can probably tell by looking at me. Will you describe yourself for those who can't see you right now? Oh, I have. I I was originally a redhead. And when redheads go white, they look like they're blondes. Just because there's snow on the volcano doesn't mean the volcano is entirely quiescent. (laughs) Are you special in the sense that you, for whatever reasons, are able to sense these spirits and connect with them, and I can't? Or can I? I just don't know that I can. You know what I mean? Yes. It's hard for me to answer that question. My understanding is there's an etheric body that lives inside the physical body, and the etheric body is partly determines whether or not we can be a spirit communicator in this incarnation. What happened to me was I had such a terrible experience back in the Stone Age that I've been really psychic ever since then because my crown chakra is broken and I'm trying to fix it and like I'm getting help. That's part of the goal of this incarnation for me is to be able to close my crown chakra more than I'm able to do right now. It's very hard for me right now because I can basically hear the war in in Europe. It's easier for me to tune into something with Europeans because they seem like me, but I remember being many different races. So your ability to connect with these spirits is directly related to this crown chakra being damaged. Right. But, you know, use what you have. 
So the way to work with a crown chakra being damaged is not to go mad, but instead to become a powerful spiritual healer who can let the spirits come down into her and then he'll help people along the way. Caroline Kenner, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Today, we're meeting people who are married to spirits. Dr. Monica Modi is a poet, writer, educator, and spiritual practitioner. And she's initiated into the West African Dagara form of spirit marriage. I asked her to talk about her union with these beings. Well, before I uh, go there, I am going to ring the bells. And call in the Kantumle. The Kantumle are the little people and the elementals who um, are so named by the Dagara people of Burkina Faso. And their name actually means those who come to the sound of the bells. Uh, But also there is a link, right? Because bells open us up to these other dimensions. Uh, There is a kind of a, with the ringing, we can travel into those other dimensions where they, where they reside. So, um, I met the Kantumble via my, um, my teacher, Dr. Maladoma Sume. He was an elder and a diviner from the Dagara tribe of Dano, Burkina Faso. I was, um, studying with him in the Bay Area for two and a half years, uh, completing a program he called the Indigenous African Spiritual Technologies, IAST. And in the middle of the program in 2014, here he was about to offer this initiation with the Kantumle. So um, we did uh, an initiatory ritual that lasted um, three days and we did it in the Bay Area. And it was a, a ritual that happened in community. There were several of us present. And um, I see the Kantumle as residing in certain frequencies. They're entities, but they're also carriers of an energy. They are all about poetry. They're all about innovation. They're all about creativity. They're about other things too. But these these are specifically characteristics that we can know the Kantumle by. Where we are in the world right now, it, it feels like we're in a stuck place, right? We, we're kind of in a quagmire and there are so many different issues and problems. And we have to see these problems in their entire complexity and in the dimensionality. And we have to know that as multidimensional beings, we can bring in that. We can bring in that kind of um, entanglement uh, and play with these uh, problems. So the Kantumle are all about problem solving, but not in the way we know as problem solving. (laughs) Right. You have to recognize the problem in the first place too, you know, and define that. Um, When, because the show is about the relationships and the commitment uh, between an earthly human being and a spirit, I'd love to hear about what that was like for you to have that ritual happen? What what was that like? How did it feel? What what was involved in it? Yeah. Um, well, I can't speak too openly about it, but what I will tell you is that Maladoma, before we even 
you know, went into that space. And and the lore is that Kantumle reside in the caves. So what I can share with you is that we built a cave-like structure where the initiation happened for, for the community, right? But um, I know that there was a lot of chaos and I remember it being very chaotic, but not chaotic in a bad way, right? Like chaos is where new energy can sometimes step in. Chaos is where the where the grids get broken, right? So that's when the new energies were were invite, invited in. And then for me, the process was slower, right? It it I I was kind of still, my mind was still trying to catch up, right? Because here is this synchronization with this um with these entities and these energies that is that are happening. So one part of you has caught up, but another part of you is still like, wait what just happened, right? Even though Maladoma also talked about the need to make agreements and also rules with the Kantumle, right? Like this is how you, or, or, you know, for me, the process felt so gradual. I didn't realize that I needed to do that. And I still remember um, very clearly one of these um, evenings, I was sitting in a women's circle and it was a moon circle, women's moon circle. And and suddenly, like that's somehow the Kantumle were like, this is the moment we're going to make ourselves known in this way that um, there is no escaping the fact that we're here. So I started feeling them. And this is to this day, this is how they let me know that they're here. I, I start feeling like a buzzing around here and like my... Around your head. Yeah, the uh, the energy field behind me and around me shifts, right? So um, they were there. And at that point, because I hadn't made those agreements with them yet, I was like, how do I even draw boundaries? Any healthy relationship need, needs boundaries. <laughs> yes, no matter who the relationship's with, yeah. No matter who the relationship with, and especially an egalitarian relationship, because an equal relationship, because the Kantumle don't want this to be an unequal relationship, right? So, yeah, that was kind of like an embarrassing moment because I didn't know how to um, how to hold that energy. And so when I came out of that space, I was like, okay, we need to talk. So... So I talked to them and then we created certain pre-established routes or I was like, well, you know, even if you need to talk to me, you can't just like jump up on me, and <laughs> especially when I'm with other people. Right. We have to have certain agreements about um, uh, how you can attract my attention or you can call my attention to what you need to say in a gentler fashion. Right. Um, so that was a, that was a big learning moment. Um, at that moment, I also had the, um, good fortune of living with someone else who had gone through the process of initiation with me. She and I, um, started hosting community divination rituals at home. It was done with a lot of devotion and without completely being aware of the responsibility we were carrying forth, which was probably what was needed, right? Like that brave heart energy comes in when you don't fully know what you're about to step into. Uh, but because there were two of us, it was possible to create those spaces. And Kantumle, a lot of the times, they speak through the voice of the person who has been initiated as a Kantumle person. So then I sit in ritual with them. I call it being merged. We, um, the, in the Dagara way, we call it merging with the Kantumle. 
So we merge with that energy and then um, unmerging is really important too, so that, you know, again, we can come back to our own sense of being, right? But we were doing these uh, community divination rituals, voice divination rituals for uh, several months. And I think that was beautiful because the medicine of the Kantungle is also community medicine. So to take it um, to a community who needed it and allow that kind of uh, knowing and wisdom and clarity, those stories to flow through was really important. Uh, and it showed me again who the Kantungle were because when I, when I first did my initiation with them, we had uh, each of us uh, started working with a male kantumle and a female kantumle pair, right? And gradually, through the course of doing the divinations, uh, I started working with um, more of them. So today, when I sit, I'm, I'm in conversation with a village of them. So, which is how it also dis is distinct from other forms of um, spirit marriage, right? Because I'm in relationship or in partnership with a with a village of them and each of them has a different personality and you know um, some of them are very joyful and mischievous and some of them are very um, they are ponderous and serious and and some of them are just like okay this is how you need to move and some of them are very poetic so um, it's it's fun yeah now I know we could talk for hours about all this but what do you really want to make sure that our listeners take away from our conversation? I think there's something about play that they really wanted me to speak to. So I'll just name that part. Um, because on the one hand, this is serious business, right? Like this is, we don't enter into these sort of pacts and compacts lightly. And at the same time, it's so important to just be playful about it too. And just be recognize that this is not about doing it in this way or that way and 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 to have compassion for ourselves and to laugh at ourselves and to laugh at each other and to laugh at the world and what we can do is just extend that grace and and love and joy to each other dr monica modi thank you so much for talking with me thank you Kion. such a pleasure and honor to be here after the break. Where I came from, they called them the cousins. They didn't use the F word, fairy. <laughs> I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Bear right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, you've been hearing stories from people who are married to otherworldly beings. And Orion Foxwood? Well, he's kind of a big deal. He's not only a traditional witch, conjure man, eco-magical activist, fairy seer, and the author of multiple books in that realm, he's also married to Bree and founded the House of Bree Fairy Seership Institute. Asked him to bring me back to when it all began with Bree. When people ask me about the beginnings of the, my relationship with Bree, it's, it's kind of a multi-dimensional answer, just like she is. Where I came from, they called them the cousins. If someone asked you, what you doing this weekend? You might say, well, I'm going to visit the cousins. Then they might say, uh, which ones? And your answer, if it was the cousins in the holler, that meant blood kin. But if you said the cousins in the woods, 
all they'd say is, oh. And they didn't use the F word, fairy. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to understand that these beings that are called the fairy people, the shining ones, the Atoll with Tag, the, they have many names, many names, show up in every culture worldwide, every indigenous tradition worldwide. So far, we haven't found one where it isn't. And the tradition itself, not under that word, but under many different words to describe it, is older than even paganism. We're talking animistic. It's relating to a world that is animated. Animated, everything is alive. Well, she shows up. She comes out of this crack in this ancient stone in the under, what they call the undercountry. So these beings live in the gestational reality seen just out the corner of our eye. So there she is. She arrives. Now I'm going to try to keep from crying. Out she comes. She steps out from what we call the living memory of the land and its preform gestational reality lit by this original stellar pulse. You see, we forget the closest star is beneath our feet. And the light that pours through our body, that life force that leaves when someone dies and we touch them, they're cold. That's a stellar pulse. You know, and so she comes and she does these different things to me. And I come out of the vision and I said to my teacher then, RJ, I told him what happened and his wonderful Scottish accent. He goes, astonishing. <laughs> Keep with it. And I did. I did because I had physical signs. Like what? like on my body because she had put pins into my fingers not one of the more uh cosmetically beautiful things and later i found out that was to transfer things between the worlds and i had red dots on the tips of my fingers when i came out and she looked at me and i looked in her eyes and instead of pupils I saw starlit heaven. I saw the Milky Way galaxy in her eyes. She said, I am the part of you that stayed in Eden. You are the part of me that extended the reach of the garden. When I picture you with her, I picture a sacredness, a stillness, also a vibrancy. But can you also tell me about bringing her to Walmart? <laughs> yes. Walmart's one of her favorite things. Loves it, loves it, loves it. Why does she love Walmart? Walmart's got all this stuff, right? And it's very human. Just like Vegas. She loves going to Vegas. You would think she would not love going to Vegas, right? Because of all these lights and all this stuff. No, she says, it's so human. She said, this lets me know both what you find beautiful and entertaining, but also where your disconnects are and your, all of it. So we go and it's a fun thing. I owe her a trip. I haven't done it for a little while. What happens is um, when you're married, it's a symbiosis. And so she indwells. I close my eyes, see it out through hers. I open my eyes, she can see out through mine. We go to Walmart, I, I open the presence of her. And then all I do is go down the, the rows with my fingers touching, that's it. She gathers data, at a, it's incredible. Sometimes you could smell it, it smells like ozone. 
because you could smell it and hear the sort of when she's pulling in all this and she loves it. When her belly's full, that's how I describe it. When her belly's full of data, oh, she just said, don't flatter yourself. She said, all of humanity can't fill my, my belly with data. But she loves it because it lets her look at what we're doing in a bunch of levels, including the synthetic things that lets us know what it is, why we're doing it, what, what's behind it, what we consider to be needs that's driving this. She loves that. Hmm. That's so funny you bring that up. I love it. Now you remind, is that a hint, Brie? <laughs> <laughs> She's coming through me. She's like, we're overdue. Let's go. Yes. I ask about this only because you you had brought it up in, in Megan's book about how you connect sexually, sensually. Uh, I don't know if, if, I don't know what the right way to ask this question is, but you know, and I'm asking, what is it like to be intimate with Brie in a way that only you can? Well, hubba hubba. Um, <laughs> How do I describe this? Oh, my God. So what happens with her, uh, love is a profound thing, a state of harmony. There is a quote from Fiona McLeod, a turn-of-the-century Celtic revivalist poet and fairy seer. He wrote under the name Fiona McLeod. That was his fairy companion, but his name was William Sharp. And he says in The Immortal Hour, I do not crave love aflame with desire but love at peace love at peace so when she comes they're made of pure life force so the life force in you just awakens just awakens and then when they move in through you in a cycle of this harmony which we we express by this word of love your life force is increasing and purifying and it's a state of pure ecstasy. Many a time I've thought, this is how stars are born. She opened my eyes to wonderment, pure wonderment. And wonderment is ultimately the initiatory power. When she comes through in lovemaking, she's even come through when my partner and I are together, which is at first was a little like um, privacy. Um, right. But then to say they love. Yeah. But not like people are accustomed to love. It's something much. There's no desperate. There's no. There's, there's a, a pure harmony and oneness. One that sometimes humans get afraid of. Because they're afraid if I truly touch that, will I ever have it again? Or if I touch it, will it consume me? And the truth is, of course it will. It will consume you and remake you in its shape. I do not, in the fairy tradition, we do not speak of original sin. We speak of original innocence. Intimacy is in the invisible. You no, know, there's no, you can never say, oh, there's a love, I just saw it walk through. But what you'll see, oh, there's an expression of love right there. There's an expression of love right there. Uh, I'd like to ask, you, you, you said you have a partner, a human partner. Um, yeah? Oh, yes. Can you tell me about, from your viewpoint, because they're not here right now, what this is like for them? Well, you know, um, that inspires a little, a little tear to my first partner, who was with me 25 years. I, I think back to the sacrifices that he made as I grew as a leader in the pagan community and then as a leader in the government. 
I opened up 31 drug treatment centers during my uh, tenure and created the equivalent to the Office of Minority Health in DC. And so I was very active also for helping people. And I remember when Bree came and he was watching it, he said, he said, I shared you with this, I shared you with that, I shared you. I said, I can't share you anymore. So our beloveds do make great sacrifices, especially if they were not a part. Uh, if they were a part of you before it came or before it became realized. And sometimes we lose our partners. And when we do, we've got to bless them for what they were, forgive them for what they were not, and, and remember their sacrifices. And Bree made it clear. She said, I will take care of him all the way into the other world when he passed. She said, for the sacrifices he made. My partner now, who I adore, is so magical. My God. Uh, she, she loves him. And so for him, she's the norm. She was always here from the beginning. In fact, when we were, uh, when he had moved in and we first really became serious about the relationship, we've been together now 13 years and um, I'm a made for life kind of guy. <laughs> and uh, one day he woke up and there was this being hovering over the bed made of flame. And <laughs> she's a little dramatic. And uh, he's like, what is that? Who is that? So he asked me and I said, oh, that's that I remember. Oh, uh, um, I forgot to tell you, I'm, I'm married. <laughs> uh, and which was funny. We joke about it. And so he makes sacrifices a lot but she also watches over him. And it's very, very sweet. And he's, he's really magical, really magical. Orion Foxwood, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thank you for all that you serve, all that you do, and NPR. May all the powers of love encompass you in all nights and all days and in all good ways. And lastly, I call down the cloak of the angels. Fall down as a waterfall of light guiding, guarding, and blessing you through all days and all nights. Thank you. What a, what a great opportunity. Audacious is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severindi Martinez, and Katie Talarski, with help from our fearless interns, Michaela Savitt and Sarah Gasparato at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious, and you'll always get to hear the show a day early. You can hear them all at ctpublic.org slash audacious, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send me your thoughts and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>